Hello and welcome back to Cast Me to Hell with me, Robbie. Unfortunately, Seb is still on some much-needed paternity leave from Cast Me to Hell. So, like a blind man in an orgy, I'm just going to be feeling my way through this thing. We're having a bit of a, a slasher comeback recently. We've had such films as Scream, again, a kind of a, a new trilogy or a new requel, as they, they kind of can't. We've had new Halloween films, new Texas Chainsaw Massacre... And we've even had stuff like Terrifier um, and a couple more other low-budget films coming about. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about some underrated 80s slashers that I feel have flown under the radar or don't quite get talked about as much as they should do. As always, if you've enjoyed the show or if you're a long-time listener and you ha- quite haven't yet, hit the subscribe button, leave us a lovely review and it helps us grow. The first film that I'm talking about is Intruder from 1989. Now, this film was written and directed by Scott Spiegel, who actually co-wrote Evil Dead 2. And he played the original Scotty in Within the Woods, which uh, was Ted Raimi and Bruce Campbell's short student film that they kind of made to kind of get financing to then go on and make The Evil Dead. And Ted and Sam Raimi are heavily pushed as appearing in this, as well as our boy Bruce Campbell. But... Ted and Bruce only really have bit parts, while Sam Raimi does play a supporting character, and he gets quite a nice little kill, if I'm being honest. So this slasher film is set in a single location of a grocery store, but through some crafty filmmaking, it actually feels a lot bigger than just one setting. A lot of the times when they do single location films, it can often feel a bit small, it can often feel a bit isolated and it, and it doesn't quite feel as big but the store that this is actually set in is quite big and it doesn't feel as if it's quite claustrophobic i know that i used to work in a, in a big brand supermarket and if you've ever worked the night shift at one of these shops you'll know that they are quite creepy so it's often areas where there's loads of people but it's dead quiet it's often dark apart from kind of low lighting so they are quite creepy places when you actually have to spend the night in one. So anybody who's worked the night shift at a superstore will kind of know that. Well, it's the film, you've got some brutal kills. Um, my personal highlight are when somebody's head gets pressed in a uh, in, in a box-crushing press, which is always really gruesome, and then somebody else's head gets sliced through with a meat slicer. It's quite beautifully well done gore. I couldn't figure out who actually did the behind the scenes or who did the makeup and special effects on the film. But it is a beautifully gory film. And it's quite short as well. It clocks in at around an hour 23 minutes or so. So it's actually a relatively short slasher. And it moves through the motions at a decent enough pace. Though if you haven't seen Intruder and you're kind of intrigued by it, I wouldn't watch any of the trailers because for some reason, whoever was putting this together decided to give away the killer in the trailer. It's a really baffling decision, but it's a it's a good film. It's quite often high on these underrated 80s slasher lists. And you can see why when you watch it. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's got some good frights. It's got some good set design and it's got some really cool kills that do kind of make you wince, which is all you can really ask for in a slasher film. My second film, I'm not going to go too much into this. I think it is, it's one of the more well-known 80s slashers that didn't go on to a sequel. And we did actually do an episode about it, so I'm not going to completely go into the whole film. These shorter solo episodes are just me free-balling some ideas, if you would. And it's My Bloody Valentine from 1981. 
So it was directed by George Michalka with the screenplay and story by John Beard and Stephen Miller. And it's a Canadian slasher that features a really interesting villain, some great scenes and some great kills. Like I said, I won't go into the full details of the film because we did cover it when we did an original versus remake. But there's something special about this film for me. I don't know what it is. I think it's, you know, I love films that are set in small towns. I'm from a small village myself. And Valentine's Bluff has that small town feeling. The film also has um, a really compelling backstory to the villain. So we're introduced to a town that hasn't celebrated a Halloween dance for a long period of time. And it's coming back. This Halloween dance is coming back. And the, the, the story is that there's, it's this town, Valentine's Bluff, is kind of a mining town in, in Canada. It's a small town. That's the kind of main industry of it. And two of the, you know, the mine employees who were supposed to supervise ended up going to the dance. And because of that, you know, there was a leak at the gas lines. There was an explosion and a dude called Harry Warden got trapped in, had to cannibalize as you do, and then went on to kill the two people who went to the dance a year later. So it already kind of before the film starts, we've already got a little bit of of a snap crackle and pops sizzled in there maybe and i think that i've kind of seen this film a few times and i never really get bored with it uh, the characters are also great that you get really endeared to them and it kind of fit, has a really good feeling to it a lot of the times in this film it's about high schoolers or it's about students or college students but this is kind of about blue collar mine workers i think they are kind of young and maybe college age but they're all mine workers and they're all from this small town so maybe i kind of connect with them a little bit uh some of my personal highlights are a really tense scene in a laundromat it's beautifully done we get a kill there and then we get a reveal there i won't give it away in case you haven't seen the film we get a peekaboo style killing which is really cool and we get a heart being boiled with some hot dogs um i've only recently just gone back to eating meat occasionally um and i don't know if i can quite go back to eating hot dogs as much now i've kind of been going over this and remembered that and we also get somebody being impaled on a shower head which is quite uh which is quite messy but also quite fun the film did suffer with some quite heavy cuts so there was around nine minutes removed otherwise i believe it was going to get uh, an x rating which i believe is the is the hardest rating in america at the time and it would have been quite hard to maximize profits basically so nine minutes got removed i would love to see it because i've i'm not great fan of censorship when it comes to movies and i'd love to see it in all its gory detail you see what i did there pretty clever and it also teases a sequel, which we unfortunately didn't get. But it did get a fun 3D remake in 2009. The third film is Grave Robbers, or as it's known in Spanish, Ladrones de Tumbras, which is from 1989. And we are taking a little trip to Mexico for a satanic zombie slasher, which, as I said, is Grave Robbers. Um, and it was written and directed by Ruben Galindo Jr. and co-written by Carlos Valdemir. So this is only a, a film that I saw in the last six months or so as it's been added to Shudder in the UK, along with Cemeteries of Terror. They kind of did like a little double bill releasing at the same time. I think often when these films are shown, they show them together or it's kind of pushed together. I don't know whether it is exactly by the same person, but they have kind of similar themes and a similar, similar-ish story. But this fun slasher follows an undead Satanist who, having been accidentally awakened by grave robbers, sets out to bring the birth of the Antichrist by impregnating a virgin. I don't know how exactly a zombie's dick works, to be honest. I don't know if they're able, you know, to, to get hard or if they're able to produce enough, you know, uh, juice to have a child, but 
this film goes on the basis that they are able to impregnate people. And there's one thing that I do love about uh, Mexican or less US and less UK zombie films, and that's often that they focus on occultism as a reason for the zombies. So I always find that really interesting. Less kind of man-made, more occultism. So if you look at Lucy or Fulci's trilogy of terror or the gates of hell trilogy whatever you want to call them it's often occultism and i find occultism really interesting it's something that's quite cool in films i don't know why and particularly in 80s films a lot of the time when we get occult it's quite cool but we get a pretty cool opening scene with the spanish inquisition and it sets up the story in the main villain the main villain himself is very interesting because on the poster he's just got like a hood on and he looks like a regular executioner but in the film, they kind of give him this weird-ass haircut. It's almost like some kind of receded hairline, but he's got this one little quiff bit. It, I know that doesn't make sense. Receding hairline and quiff are kind of opposites. But just Google um, Grave Robber's villain and see what he looks like. Because I, when I was watching this, I was thinking, how long has this dude been dead? It's got to be, you know, a couple of hundred years. And his hairline's changed since he's died, like... Maybe that's normal. I mean, uh, maybe all zombies have receding hairlines or are bald. I don't know, but it's uh, it's an interesting look. We get some police interrogation that kind of wouldn't really be out of place in the first Rambo film. We see four teens getting, not brutally interrogated, but it's kind of like, uh, I know it's the 80s. There's got to be some kind of way in which you interrogate people as opposed to just like beating them up and screaming in their faces. And pretty much everybody has a mustache as well, which is a plus for me. And I think this is the first time I've seen an Uzi used as a weapon in a horror film, which is kind of cool. It kind of gives off a bit of a Scarface vibe, although in my mind, and Uzis are always kind of associated with bad guys, you know? So to see the heroes using Uzis, it's kind of a weird film. But kill-wise, we get some cool gore. You know, heads are hacked off, necks are snapped. And there's a particularly cool disemboweling just so you get your money's worth. And I think maybe the kill that made me wince the most was a woman getting her face pushed through a cemetery gate. Really grim. Psycho 2 from 1983 is another underrated 80s slasher. I think it's a very strange sequel to a film that doesn't really need one, to be honest. The original Psycho is such a classic that I kind of don't see why there was a need for a sequel. Let's be honest, I'm sure we've all had those conversations. It's like Jaws 2. Jaws is such a classic, why do we get Jaws 2? It's it's an okay film, but why do we need it? Um, and I originally heard that it's based on a novel which was written by the same person who wrote Psycho, and then he was originally going to go on and write a book um, which was supposed to um, it was Robert Block who wrote it, and he wrote um, Psycho 2, and it was supposed to be kind of a satire of the slasher genre, and all of the kind of shortcomings of it, and apparently the studio really didn't like it, so instead, they kind of, they got uh, Tom Holland, who I believe went on to do Fright Night, which I think is an incredible film, amongst others, and they got him to write his own version of it, whether they wanted to get ahead of the narrative, because a lot of the times, you know, if a book and a film come out around the same time or shortly after one another, most people will see the film and then would assume that the book's kind of usually better, but that they, it's a faithful adaption. So I don't know whether that was the whole idea. And before watching it, I will be honest, I expected it to be pretty shit. Hands up, you know, um, I expected just a standard slasher affair maybe, but actually we've got something a little bit more interesting, I think. 
We get Anthony Perkins returning as Norman Bates and a couple of other returning characters. We follow Norman Bates after he's been released from a 22-year stint in a mental institution and we see him return to the Bates Motel and then a string of murders follow him. For me, the character of Norman Bates is a really interesting character and the way the film goes from him being the antagonist in the first Psycho to being protagonist is pretty well done and it's a good story device. I think Norman Bates has always been a slightly tragic figure. Um, I know he's kind of known to be a great movie villain but he's always supposed to be if not I don't think sympathetic's the right word but he's always supposed to be kind of tragic and a bit of a an interesting character study when you look at his motives and his psych and stuff like that so it's interesting to see that this has been carried over and slightly expanded on as the kills kind of happen in the film Norman questions whether his mother's behind it whether he's actually behind it or whether something else is going on. So it's, it's a good film with some quite decent twists and turns throughout it. And whilst the film doesn't really have any kind of standout kills or gore, um, it's definitely a film that often slips the net. And I do definitely think it fits into that slasher motive. So before I kind of reveal my fifth underrated 80s slasher i'm going to go over to the social media lounge so obviously you can find us on twitter instagram and tiktok at cmth podcast sorry i don't know why i forgot our own social medias then i think it's been it's been rather busy in my personal life so the brain's not all there today um but I always put up what we're going to be talking about and I get some some feedback or some ideas. So Henry Shivers um, s- suggested for underrated 80s slashers The Initiation, which I think is a great one. Uh, Frankenhooker, which I've re- previously spoken about on one of our films. I believe I've spoken about Frankenhooker with the uh, with the super crack. Um, Hell Knight, Motel Hell all good um simon from so i married a horror fan podcast suggested a whole bunch um so student bodies sleepaway camp two and three house on sorority row maniac and maniac cop amongst others and also recommended a, a really good documentary called go into pieces which is all about the 80s boom so i'm gonna have to check that out will doherty i hope i'm pronouncing that right um who is a Irish singer-songwriter. So it's Will, D-O-H-E-R-T-Y. If you want to go and check him out on Spotify or all the other kind of music stuff, recommended Motel Hell and The Prowler, which is one that I haven't checked out. was on a lot of underrated 80s slasher lists, and I do want to check it out. We had Logan at Quince Vessel, Intruder 1989, and we had Half Price Horror, who recommended the late 80s meta slasher, Return to Horror High, which is kind of a really weird film and was actually George Clooney's first uh, feature length film. And I think it might have been his first appearance of all time on in cinema, obviously. Um, so going over to the last film, and obviously if you haven't yet, I'd recommend hitting the uh, subscribe button, leaving us a lovely review. It always helps us. And the last film is Taurus Trap from 1979. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, Rob, we said it was going to be underrated 80s slashers but it's a slasher film it's close enough to the 80s for me to be included in it and when i looked at underrated 80s slashers this kind of popped up quite a lot and it's a really interesting film uh, written and directed by david schmeller i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly i'm definitely not um and has some additional writing credits to j larry carroll and it's a super creepy supernatural slasher film that feels like a, a strange cross between the creepy uncanny valley of something like house of wax 
Axe with a killer that has some telekinetic powers. I kind of put down Carrie, but it doesn't. It, it feels like every time there's somebody with telekinetic powers in a horror movie, it gets linked back to Carrie. So I kind of tried to stay away from that, if I'm being completely honest, even though I did put it down. So more for me. Um, but this slasher follows a group of young people, I mean, as always, who stumble upon a roadside mannequin museum run by a lonely eccentric. So it features all sorts of creepy shots. I think mannequins are something that are quite creepy anyway. And they do have that kind of uncanny valley about them, almost looking human, but not. I don't know if anybody ever played Condemned, but that was an extremely class game. And there was a really interesting level on it where you were inside like a disused shopping mall and some of the, the enemies were kind of dressed up as mannequins. And whenever you kind of turned around they'd come and attack you so it was really creepy and the dlc um, for resident evil village shadows of rose i believe has done something similar with a mannequin where you don't look and it moves and i think mannequins themselves are just really creepy i know there was a, a 1980s rom-com about a mannequin that comes to life overnight and i don't know it would be an awkward relationship to have and to maintain you know but it's kind of filled with these creepy shots people being turned into mannequins and some supernatural slaughter i would say i actually discussed the worst kill in this film on a previous episode i think it was one of our in memoriams maybe most terrifying deaths and it's basically where somebody gets turned into a mannequin they're tied to this gross kind of i don't know if it's a bed or a workshop and then they're getting paper mache kind of put over their face and plastered and it's just it's super creepy super gross um but i'd recommend going and checking out the episode if you want to talk hear me talk about it in a lot more detail the film also features a pretty disturbing ending to be honest and i, I think the ending actually asks more questions than it answers but the film's definitely worth a watch like i said close enough to the 80s for me to include it in that and that's been some of the underrated 80s slashers so i hope you've enjoyed this little solo venture with me again i don't know how many more of them we're gonna have Seb's kind of on a paternity leave so I don't know what our next episode is going to be but as always if you've enjoyed the episode please hit the subscribe button so you get them as soon as they come out come and let us know what you think are some real underrated 80 slashers on twitter instagram and talk at cmth podcast and I will see you next week for another episode take care bye bye